Hotep, how's everybody doing today? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. It is Tuesday, October 1st, 2019, and it is a fantastic Tuesday. Hope everybody's doing well today. Well, the breaking news story right now is ex-Dallas police officer Amber Geiger has been found guilty of murder in the murder of 26-year-old Botham Shem John. We know that this case rocked the country. You know I reported a lot on this case when the story first broke. Kept you abreast on uh, a lot of the developments uh, in the case as well. Uh, cited credible sources for it also and separated fact from fiction. We didn't deal with a bunch of conspiracy theories and nonsense like that, okay? Because I don't deal with that type of stuff, all right? So we're going to um, deal with this breaking news story. It's a very fluid story, so there's some updates um, that I've seen. I've, I've looked at Washington Post, New York Times, ABC News, also NBC News as well, okay? So there's some updates uh, that I've seen to the uh, articles. Everybody share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. We're going to uh, break this down. And then I'm also going to look back. I, I pulled out my uh, stack of articles dealing with this case. And um, number one, I knew she was going to be found guilty. I knew she was going to be found guilty because I looked at the facts of the case uh, as best we knew it, even before the trial started. Two, the affidavit that she did for the Dallas Police Department on September 7th, 2018, some of the facts in that and uh, what she told the Dallas police were uh, different than what she told the Texas Rangers in the affidavit on September 9th, 2018. So that was problematic right there. All right. So um, let me share this here on our Facebook page. So everybody follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. Share this broadcast also. Uh, invite your friends to tune in as well. All right. Let's go to the uh, article from uh, NBCnews.com. All right. And then African-American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. And we'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network. Email us at customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com, customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com. And, um, you know, I had been following this trial some. Now, I was just in Texas. I was in Houston, Texas this past weekend for the All Black National Convention that Dr. Boyce Watkins puts on, and I was uh, on the panel Sunday morning. Um, so as fate would have it, you know, I was just in Texas, okay, and this, and this verdict came down. All right, let's see here. Uh, let's go to the article here from... Uh, NBCnews.com, and I'm also monitoring uh, WFAA uh, TV in uh, uh, Dallas, Texas as well. I'm monitoring uh, them also. They just updated their article. Jury finds Amber Geiger guilty of murder and shooting death, both of Shem John, because I was watching um, some of their news broadcasts and some of the interviews uh, that they did with the uh, attorneys for the family, like Lee Merritt. Uh, so I, I was checking that out also. All right. So NBCnews.com has an article. Amber Geiger found guilty of, uh, of murder at trial and fatal shooting of neighbor, neighbor Bolton Shem John. Geiger was off duty, but in uniform when she shot Bolton Shem John last year in a case that has become a flashpoint in Dallas over issues of police use of force and racial bias. So we know that... Um, the, uh, people in, in Dallas were furious about this, especially African-Americans in Dallas were furious about this. We know that um, the uh, former uh, district attorney uh, lost the election that took place 
uh, Faith Johnson was her name. She was an uh, African-American female Republican. We know that she lost the e election that just took place in, I think it was November 2018, partly over some of, some of the, uh, the way the community felt she handled this case, okay? So now the uh, district attorney there, or the prosecutor, is an African-American male. I forgot his name. Former Dallas officer Amber Geiger was found guilty of murder on Tuesday, October 1st, 2019, for fatally shooting her neighbor, Botham Shem John, after thinking he was an intruder when she mistakenly entered his apartment. Now, Amber Geiger who has been out on $300,000 bond faces a maximum of life in prison. Actually, and actually what I heard was 99 years in prison. Okay. She, she faces, um, she was not immediately taken into custody and is awaiting sentencing scheduled for later Tuesday afternoon. So after the news came out, I heard that sentencing was going to start in about an hour. Okay. Deliberating on sentencing would start in about an hour. There was an audible gasp, in the packed courtroom as State District Attorney uh, uh, Tammy Kemp, K-E-M-P, read the jury's decision and, uh, and both of Shim John's family later walked out crying and embracing uh, many wearing the color red, which was the victim's favorite color. We also know that outside of uh, his apartment, there was a red floor mat as well because he wanted his apartment to be distinct from other people's apartments, all right? So when you go through and look at the facts of this case here, um, one thing that I have not been able to find out, and I don't even know if the family attorneys, um, uh, attorney uh, Lee Merrick, uh, um, attorney, um, and, and some of the other family, there's three main family attorneys, um, Benjamin Crump, I don't know if they have come to a conclusion what the, what the actual motive was. I don't know if they've come to a conclusion what the actual motive was in, in the shooting, okay? So in everything that I've looked at, I, I still, still haven't been able to find out what the actual motive was, all right? And when, we, when I go back and look at uh, some of the facts of the case, there was no evidence that, uh, you know, early on, people were saying, oh, they were in a relationship together, things like this. That was fairly debunked. S. Lee Merritt was on CNN, and he talked about how they went through emails, they went through text messages, things like this. There was no evidence that there was some type of relationship going on between the two of them. And one of the, one of the problems with social media is that anybody has access to it. So all these conspiracy theories just started floating around. For instance, uh, somebody went on Bolton Shem John's uh, uh, Instagram page and they saw a picture of him with three white women. They circled one of the pictures, they circled one of the faces of one of the white women and said this was Amber Geiger, the police officer that killed Bolton Shem John. Come to find out, these were his co-workers at PricewaterhouseCoopers. So, and, and so the, the, woman, the woman whose picture you circled and you circulated around this picture, not only was she not a police officer, not only was she uh, did not shoot him, but she was one of his coworkers. So now you're going to spread lies about somebody that's totally innocent. This is why we have to be careful how we use this medium. This is why we have to separate facts from fiction. This is why you don't see me jumping on a whole bunch of conspiracy theories and things like this. I have to do research before we put information out here. Okay, so Amber Geiger has been out on a $300,000 bond. She faces a maximum of life in prison. Now, um, the jury was, was tasked with deciding whether or not Amber Geiger, who's 31 years old, 
acted reasonably when she used deadly force and if the prosecution had proven beyond a reasonable doubt that she intentionally killed Botham Shim John or if a lesser charge of manslaughter, which involves reckless conduct, was warranted, okay? So they could look at um, murder or manslaughter, all right? They were tasked with uh, whether she acted reasonably when she used deadly force and if the uh, prosecution had proven beyond a reasonable doubt that she intentionally killed Botham Shem John or if a lesser charge of manslaughter, which involves reckless conduct, was warranted. Now, if we look at, and uh, let's see, how's everybody doing? Let's see, we have Offset, Isis, we have Mills, Leonard, Habiba, Sadia, Nick, just a few of the people watching here. Everybody share this broadcast. So if we look at the um, article from WFAA, okay, which is uh, in Dallas. This is a TV station in Dallas. And a lot of times you can get um, better reporting from the local news sources, like Dallas Morning News. They, 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 I, I looked at a number of different sources. I've been following this case going back to September. Dallas Morning News had the best coverage. Day after day after day after day, Dallas Morning News had the best coverage on this, okay? Um, if we look at the reporting from WFAA Channel 8 in Dallas, uh, the judge in the case was an African-American female. The judge, uh, it, it says here, let's see, uh, let me back up a little bit. Um, during a cross-examination, prosecutor uh, Jason Hermes pointed out that Amber Geiger texted uh, her former police partner, who she was also involved in in a sexual relationship before officers arrived at the scene, all right? And let me see, I've got that article up here because I'm working off of two laptops, so just bear with me just a minute here because I'm only one person, all right? But I'm working off of two laptops. All right, so they also grilled Amber Geiger about her lack of action after the shooting, asked her why she did not use a first aid kit she was carrying in her backpack or perform proper CPR on both of Shem John as he was on the ground dying. Amber Geiger was charged with murder, but the jury had the choice to convict her of murder, manslaughter, or choose to acquit. Here is the language from the jury charge on each of these terms. Quote, a person, so this is the instructions that the um, judge is giving to the jury. Quote, a person commits the offense of murder if the person, one, intentionally or knowingly causes the death of an individual or two intends to cause seriously bodily injury uh, intends to cause serious bodily injury and commits and act and act clearly dangerous to human life that causes the death of an individual okay so in the, so what is defined as murder varies from state to state. This is what we have to understand, all right? So to get a conviction on murder, you have to, there are two elements. Uh, well, to get a conviction on murder in the state of Texas, this is what you have to be able to pr prove based upon the evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. A person commits the offense of murder if the person, one, intentionally or knowingly causes the death of an individual or two, the person intends to cause seriously bodily injury, serious bodily injury, and commits an act clearly dangerous to human life that causes the death of an individual. Now, the judge went on to say, quote, our law provides a person 
commits the offense of manslaughter if she recklessly causes the death of an individual. All right, a person acts recklessly uh, or a person acts recklessly or is reckless with respect to the result of her conduct when she is aware of but consciously disregards a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the result will occur. The risk must be of such a nature and degree that it is dis that its disregard constitutes a gross deviation from the standard of care that an ordinary person would exercise under all the circumstances as viewed from the actor's standpoint, end quote, all right? So jurors had to determine whether Amber Geiger reasonably thought she was inside her own apartment at the time of the shooting, which was a bunch of BS, and whether a reasonable person in her position would have shot Botham John in the dark in self-defense as she alleges. Amber Geiger was fired from the Dallas Police Department in the weeks following the shooting, all right? So, uh, so there's more to this article here from WFAA Channel 8, uh, ABC affiliate in Dallas. They had a lot of good reporting because I read a number of articles from WFAA. And if you, if you uh, listen to the African History Network show that I do on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation, you know that was one of the sources I was cited. Number one source was Dallas Morning News, then WFAA, and there were some other local affiliates that I looked at. Uh, now, just to be perfectly honest, uh, NewsOne.com has, has some of the worst coverage. Okay, I like News One, but I, I have to be honest. I've said this before. I said this on my broadcast. NewsOne.com has some of the worst coverage because I went through and I read the articles and I saw some of the inaccuracies that they were reporting on, even though they're citing the source article. When you go read the source article, the, the, the way they are reporting it was inaccurate, even based upon the source article that they're citing. Okay, so I like News One, but they have some of the worst coverage. I just have to be honest with you. All right. So that's why you ain't see me posting a whole lot. I posted a few articles from News One. I ain't post a lot of them because I'm looking at them and I'm looking at these inaccuracies that they're putting out. OK. All right. So let's continue here. Let me uh, do this. How's everybody doing? Sheetal, Vernell, Shirley, just a few of the people. Also, if you like this type of information here, you want to support the African History Network, you can donate paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Paypal.me forward slash the AHN show or at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. Okay, click on the yellow donate button on the homepage. That helps us keep doing the research, uh, finance the Sunday night show, finance the research, pay the bills, stay on the air, et cetera. All right, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Let's go uh, back to the article from uh, NBC News, nbcnews.com. Now, uh, deliberations began Monday afternoon after a week long, so, so, um, yeah, Monday afternoon after a week-long trial. So Monday, uh, September 30th, 2019, deliberations began. Which, uh, after a week-long trial, which included the playing of the 911 call that Amber Geiger made after shooting both of them, John, all right? And a dramatic body cam video from officers who responded to the scene. And, and uh, Roland Martin uh, has been doing a, uh, some excellent coverage of this continuously, okay? Uh, Roland Martin, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, he's been doing some excellent coverage of this. And also, Roland went down to Dallas, Texas for a, um, it was, a, I think, a town hall meeting, I think it was, um, with the prosecutor was there, uh, some other attorneys, the 
um, a police chief uh, could not make it there. But um, Attorney Benjamin Crump told Roland what a big difference it made for him to come down there. And uh, Roland televised this. He broadcasted it on Roland Martin Unfiltered. If you go to his YouTube channel, uh, Roland Martin on YouTube, you can uh, probably find it. But uh, Benjamin Crump talked about uh, how it made a big difference for uh, him to come down there and to uh, actually Roland moderated that town hall. That's the other thing. But it allowed a lot of the facts to come out and to separate the facts from fiction and the hearsay, et cetera, okay? So deliberations uh, began Monday, September 30th, 2019, uh, Monday afternoon after a week-long trial, which included the playing of the 911 call that Amber Geiger made after the shooting of both the both them Shem John, and dramatic uh, body cam video from officers who responded to the scene. Now, Amber Geiger was off duty, uh, but still in uniform when she shot both them Shem John twice uh, on September 26, 2018, just before 10 p.m., striking him in the chest. She had worked a 13 and a half hour shift on uh, the Dallas Police Department's crime response team uh, that day and parked on the fourth floor of the uh, complex's range. Uh, she lived on the third floor, and she lived on the third floor, and both of Shem John, um, who's a native of uh, St. Lucia, lived directly above her on the fourth floor. The two did not know each other. The fatal shooting, which, was, uh, which has led to one of the most anticipated um, murder trials in Dallas in decades, became a flashpoint on issues of police use of force and racial bias. Now, Amber Geiger, we know is white, both of Shem John is, is black, of African descent, and uh, the both of them Shem John family has questioned whether Amber Geiger would have shot him if he were a different race. Now, attorney uh, uh, Lee Merritt, who uh, was the uh, uh, lead attorney for the family, uh, in their, in their, uh, for the John family representing them in their civil rights case, in their civil case, applauded the verdict and called it a huge victory, a huge victory for them as well as all black people in America. Uh, Lee Merritt said, S. Lee Merritt is his full name, S. Lee Merritt said, uh, quote, it's a signal that the tide is going to change here. Uh, police officers are going to be held accountable for their actions, and we believe this is going to change the policing culture all over the world, end quote. Now, another family attorney, Benjamin Crump, added that uh, Botham Shem John was the quote-unquote perfect victim, quote-unquote perfect victim, a young black man who was co college educated and, and doing nothing but relaxing inside his home after work. Benjamin, attorney Benjamin Crump said it, it shouldn't take all of that for unarmed black and brown people to get justice. Now, prosecutors said uh, Bolton Shem John was watching television and eating ice cream in his living room when Amber Geiger burst inside, uh, likely uh, scaring him. The trajectory of the bullet showed that he was either getting up from his couch or cowering when Amber Geiger fired her service weapon, they added. Testifying in our own defense last week, Amber Geiger told jurors that she was scared for her life when she entered an apartment she thought was hers and the man inside began coming toward her and yelling, hey, hey, hey. Okay. Now, the judge, um, yes, I think it was yesterday, the judge stated that uh, either yesterday or fr Friday, because the liberation started yesterday, uh, started on Monday. The judge stated that 
they could, the jury could take into consideration the counsel doctrine law, which is similar to stand your ground and gives uh, someone who was in their home the right to defend themselves, use deadly force without having to retreat, okay? But uh, the jury didn't buy that, okay? The other thing is, is um, Amber Geiger was a police officer. What police training are you citing that teaches you to shoot in the dark and you don't know what you're shooting at? Why didn't you just turn on the lights? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get into the discrepancies and what she told the Dallas police in the affidavit and what she told the Texas Rangers in the affidavit. Okay. Cause in one of the, in one of those instances, she was lying. Now, Amber Geiger, uh, on the witness stand, uh, said, I never wanted to take an innocent uh, person's life. I'm so sorry. Uh, this is not about hate. It's about being scared. Okay. So she, she cried on the witness stand, but all that stuff didn't work. Okay. The, the, the jury didn't buy it. Now I do believe that she's sorry. She's sorry. She got caught. And even after, after the shooting took place, she was on the phone and she said she effed up and all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. But still you're going to prison. All right. So Geiger admitted to giving both and Shem John minimal life-saving aid because she had only one hand free while she called 911 and her state of mind was frantic. Geiger, who was on the Dallas police force for more than four years, was fired from her job following the shooting. Toxicology results presented at trial showed she was not intoxicated during the shooting. Okay, so this is uh, leading up to the trial. People were, we knew that a toxicology test was done but we did not know the results before the trial, okay? So the toxicology results presented at trial showed that she was not intoxicated during the shooting, okay? So you can't blame it on the alcohol, all right? You know, some people wanna blame it on the alcohol. No, you can't blame it on the alcohol. It was, it was on her. Now, still to this day, and I've done, I've read like over 60 articles, probably now close to 70, 80 articles dealing with this case. I still don't know what the motive was. A, a clear, concise, verifiable motive. I still don't know what the motive was. Um, so the defense brought on, uh, the defense, her defense attorneys brought on other tenants from the same apartment complex who testified that they had parked on a different floor and gone to the wrong unit by mistake, okay? Now, Amber Geiger's attorneys also downplayed that she had been sharing sexually explicit text messages with her, with her work partner, her, um, her police partner, the, the uh, police officer she's a partner with, they were also having the sexual affair as well. Uh, her defense attorneys downplayed that she had been sharing sexually explicit text messages with her work partner and was on the phone with him just before the shooting, which was revealed in the opening of the trial. All right, so NBC News. So this is something that we did not know before the trial. This is a detail we did not know before the trial. Now. What's important to understand is that the prosecutors in general don't prosecute cases in the media. They, they don't, prosecutors in general don't reveal evidence and things like this before the trial. They wait to the trial to reveal the evidence. All right. So these are things that we found out during the trial. So NBC has an article, Amber Geiger was on phone with partner before shooting neighbor prosecutor reveals Amber Geiger 
was in a sexual relationship with her partner on the Dallas police force and the pair were on the phone on the night of the 2018 shoot, the prosecutor says. Okay, so this article is from September 23rd, 2019. Um, let's see here. The murder trial of ex-Dallas police officer Amber Geiger opened Monday with the revelation that she was in a sexual relationship with her partner on the city's police force and, and questions as to whether she was distracted by a phone call with him in the minutes before fatally shooting her neighbor. Geiger's defense attorneys are not disputing that on the night of September 6th, he mistakenly entered the unit of Bolton Shem John, who lived on the floor above her. Uh, but prosecutors introduced the state's case by attempting to show that Geiger 31 failed at every turn to prevent the deadly chain of events. Geiger was initially arrested on manslaughter charges, but a grand jury indicted her in November 2018 on murder charges. All right, uh, let's see here. Okay, so let me back up here. In a victory before the trial opened on Monday, lead prosecutor Jason Hermus, H-E-R-M-U-S, convinced State District Judge Tammy Kemp, who's um, African-American, uh, African-American female, State District Judge Tammy Kemp to permit Amber Geiger's cell phone records, web searches from the night of the shooting into evidence. In doing so, um, district, uh, in doing so, uh, Prosecutor uh, Hermes on Monday revealed that the text messages showed that Amber Geiger had been having a relationship with Martin Rivera, R-I-V-E-R-A, her partner on an elite crime response team with the Dallas Police Department, and that she was on the phone with him as she drove into the parking garage and just prior to shooting Bolton Shem John before 10 p.m. In addition, prosecutors said Amber Geiger sent... Um, Martin Rivera, a sexually suggestive Snapchat message during the night of the shooting that said, uh, quote unquote, wanna, wanna touch, okay, uh, W-A-N-N-A, uh, and that they had plans to meet up that night. During his opening statement, defense attorney Robert Rogers acknowledged that Geiger had thought of Rivera as her, quote unquote, rock, and that they began an intimate relationship that grew out of being co-workers and sharing a squad car. But Rogers denied Rivera had any actual plans to see Geiger that night and that, quote, the relationship was ramping down, end quote, because Geiger was looking for someone, quote, unquote, more stable. All right. So uh, so check out the rest of that article. I'm trying to go through all that. Um, so then it goes to Geiger's mindset. OK. What was going through Amber's mind was that I'm done with my day's work. I'm going home, Roger said. Uh, and let me see back up. Uh, this is um, defense attorney Robert Rogers. Geiger's mindset and how she could have failed to notice she was at the wrong apartment will be the focal point of this trial, which has become one of the most anticipated murder trials in Dallas in decades. OK, so read the rest of this article here. All right. I just want to give some uh, background context because that is those are details that we did not find out about until the trial. All right. Now, let's uh, let me go and look at uh, the affidavit. OK. And I'll give you two sources for this, and we'll post the links at the at the end of the broadcast. All right, this is uh, uh, computer's running slowly here, so I want to look at the Dallas Police Department affidavit first. All right, because th these are in my file folder on this case. So the that so 
she was interviewed by the Dallas Police Department in an affidavit on September 7th, 2018. Then she was interviewed by the Texas Rangers because the case was turned over by the police chief, uh, Dallas Police Chief, to the Texas Rangers, and that was September 9th. She gave, she gave two different accounts of what happened, all right? So just briefly to recap, when we look at the one from the Dallas Police Department, uh, it says, uh, let's see, during the incident, an off-duty police officer who was wearing a full Dallas police uniform was attempting to enter apartment number 1478, that's where both and Shem John lives, lived, with a set of keys. An unknown male inside the apartment confronted the officer at the door. A neighbor stated he heard an exchange of words immediately followed by at least two gunshots. The officer possibly believed the subject was an intruder, drew her service weapon, and fired at the subject drew her service weapon and fired at the subject, striking him in the chest. The subject who was identified as Botham Shem John was transported to Baylor Hospital where he was pronounced deceased. Detective Angela Arredondo, A-R-R-E-D-O-N-D-O, contacted Botham John's sister, Elisa Finley, and she confirmed that uh, that subject, Botham Shem John, is the sole occupant of the apartment residence located at 1210 South Lamar Street apartment number 1478 okay now by affidavit this is these are the statements that amber geiger gave to the dallas police department when they interviewed her to put together this is sworn testimony an affidavit okay now let's look at what she told the texas rangers right and uh dallas morning news uh i think this i got this from the dallas morning news they have this, the dallas morning news wfaa uh, they, they all uh, have this, so you can go check this out there. Let's look at what she told the Texas Rangers. This is where the story changed. And so there were articles, there were articles written based upon this. Um, and if we look at one of those articles, because I just saw one, dealing with, uh, this was from Dallas Morning News, September 10th, 2018. And that was a Monday morning, September 10th, 2018, after the uh, uh, story came out from uh, what she told the Texas Rangers, victim's family disputes official account uh, of the moments before uh, Geiger shot Botham Shem John, okay? And this deals with the, uh, if I remember correctly, this article here deals with uh, the discrepancies, all right? So here's what she told the Texas Rangers. The, uh, let's see here. Complainant John is the resident tenant of uh, number 1478. Geiger, who's a Dallas police officer, lives in the same apartment complex directly beneath the complainant in apartment 1378. Apartment, uh, okay, let's skip over that. Geiger, who had just ended her, still in her Dallas police uniform, arrived at the apartment complex and parked her vehicle on the fourth floor of the parking garage, which uh, should correspond to the floor the resident lives on. Geiger entered the building and walked down the fourth floor hallway to what she thought was her apartment. She inserted a unique door key with an electronic chip into the door keyhole. The door, which was slightly ajar prior to Geiger's arrival, fully opened under the force of the key insertion. Upon the, so, so, but when she, but that's not what she told the Dallas police.
She said she was attempting to enter the apartment number 1478 with a setting. Just a minute. Okay. All right, so we're back for uh, part two. Had some technical difficulties with uh, part one of the broadcast. How's everybody doing? We're back for part two. Um, Amber Geiger, former uh, Dallas police officer, has been found guilty of the murder of Botham Shem John, which took place on uh, September 6, 2018. All right, so everybody, we're back for part two. Everybody share this broadcast. Uh, on your Facebook page, share it on YouTube, invite your friends to tune in. Okay, we're going to go uh, continue to break down this case. Uh, those that follow me here on the African History Network, you know I covered this case a lot when it first started and, and, and uh, kept covering it as well. So when we left off in part one, I had uh, shared with you uh, a portion of the affidavit that Amber Geiger gave to the her testimony she gave to the Dallas Police Department and I was talking about how it differed from the testimony she gave to the Texas Rangers who were the state police the case was turned over from the Dallas Police Department to the Texas Rangers okay in just a second here let me start the video camera all right so how's, how's everybody doing we're back for part two this is Michael M. Hotel founder of the African History Network host of the African History Network show I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. So today is Tuesday, October 1st, 2019. And a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief. A uh, sigh of relief. Uh, former Dallas uh, police officer Amber Geiger has been found guilty of the murder of Botham Shem John. Uh, sentencing deliberation has already begun. She faces five years to 99 years in prison with uh, no possibility of parole. She faces five years to 99 years in prison with no possibility uh, of parole, okay? So let's continue here. And uh, African-American business owners post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. Uh, we'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network. Email us at customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com, customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, also, if you'd like this type of information, you could donate to the African History Network, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. All right. Okay, so let's continue here. All right, so let's look at the uh, affidavit from the, uh, that she gave to the Texas Rangers. All right, so this was given, uh, this affidavit was given on September 9th. Okay, September 9th. Um, and the one she gave to the Texas, uh, to the Dallas Police Department was given on September uh, 7th, okay? So, um, in just a second here, I'm trying, I'm working off of two laptops and running one slowly and this uh, irritating me. Okay, so what she told the uh, Texas, what she told the Texas Rangers was that um, Geiger, who had just ended her shift, but was still in, in Dallas police uniform, arrived at the apartment complex and parked her vehicle on the fourth floor of the parking garage, which uh, should correspond to the floor the residents live on. So if you park on the fourth floor of the parking garage, then that means you live on the fourth floor of that apartment complex. Um, Geiger entered the building and walked down the fourth floor hallway to what she thought was her apartment. She inserted a key, a unique, she inserted a unique door key when, uh, with an electronic chip, okay, a key fob, 
she uh, inserted a unique door key with a uh, with an electronic chip. Okay, um, the door was slightly ajar. Let me see. Okay, with an electronic chip, force of the key insertion. Okay, the door, which was slightly ajar prior to Geiger's arrival, fully opened upon the force of the key insertion. Upon the door being opened, Amber Geiger observed that the apartment interior was nearly completely dark. Upon the door being opened, Amber Geiger observed that the apartment interior was nearly completely dark. That is different than what she told the Dallas police. I'm gonna come back to the, uh, to the Dallas police affidavit in just a minute. Additionally, the door being opened alerted uh, Botham Shem John to Amber Geiger's presence. Believing she had encountered a burglar which was described which was described as a large silhouette across the room in her apartment. Amber Geiger drew her firearm, gave verbal commands that were ignored by complainant John, both in Shim John. As a result, Geiger fired her handgun two times, striking the complainant one time in the torso. Okay. Now that is totally different than what she told the Dallas police. Once again, she told the Dallas police during the incident, an off-duty uh, Dallas police officer who was wearing a full uh, Dallas police uniform was attempting to enter the apartment number 1478 with a set of keys. An unknown male inside the apartment confronted the officer at the door. A neighbor stated he heard an exchange of words immediately followed by at least two gunshots. The officer possibly believed the subject was an intruder, drew her service weapon and fired at the subject, striking him in the chest. The subject, who was identified as Bolton Shem John, was transported to Baylor Hospital, where he was pronounced deceased. Detective Angela Arredondo, A-R-R-E-D-O-N-D-O, contacted Bolton Shem John's sister, Elisa Finley, uh, and she confirmed that the subject, John, is the sole occupant of the apartment resident located at 1210 South Lamar Street, apartment number 1478. All right. Now, here, she didn't say anything about a large silhouette. What she told the Dallas police, she didn't say anything about a large silhouette, okay? She didn't say anything about giving verbal, verbal commands before she fired her gun, all right? She didn't say anything about the apartment being nearly dark. That's not what she told the Dallas police. An affidavit is sworn testimony, okay? This is what she gave the Dallas police. That is totally contradicted. Now, that was September 7th, the day after the killing. That's the, September 7th. That's totally different than what she told the Texas Rangers, okay? That's totally different than what she told the Texas Rangers. So, which was September 9th. So when, now back when this happened in September, I broke this down on my show. Just because of that, I said she's gonna be found guilty. Just because of that, I knew she was gonna be found guilty. All right? So uh, let's look at uh, some updates. How's everybody doing? Uh, we're back here for part two had technical difficulties, the broadcast stopped uh, the, for part one for whatever reason. Uh, As a technical difficulties here, I had to reboot the computer and everything. Okay, so we have uh, Ke um, Keela, Ashley, uh, Trina, just a few of the people watching here on Facebook. Let me go to the uh, article from the Washington Post because it has been recently updated. I've been watching uh, these articles, I've been looking at these different articles here in the updates. And then also I was watching some of the deliberation that took place because um, NBC News at their website 
they have the uh, uh, they're showing the deliberation live as well. Okay, so the jury is deliberating. Uh, let's go to uh, let's look at the uh, Washington Post. Um, so jury deliberation resumes uh, Tuesday afternoon to determine Geiger's sentencing. She could get five to 99 years or life in prison. Parole is not an option, the Dallas Morning News uh, reported. I want to go to the article from the Dallas Morning News. I was looking at that one. They have uh, basically like the best coverage. Uh, testimony in the punishment phase of Geiger's trial will proceed this afternoon. So it was scheduled to proceed um, between start back about 1 to 1.30 p.m. So it was already started. Uh, once again, the uh, judge is an African-American female judge, uh, Judge uh, Tammy Smith. Um, in Texas, murder carries a sentence of five to 99 years or life in prison. Okay, five to 99 years or life in prison. The charge is not eligible for probation. Now, they laid out, um, yeah, this is uh, State District Judge Tammy Smith, okay, uh, who's an African-American female. They laid out... Um, five key moments so far in Amber Geiger's uh, trial for killing both of Shim John. This is another article. This is another article from uh, the Dallas Morning News. This is from, um, this was updated October 1st, okay, after the verdict. And I just want to share a few quick things here. Um, okay, it's, uh, that article is loading. Okay, New York Times has an article also, Amber Geiger, ex-Dallas police officer, guilty of murder for killing her neighbor, Botham, uh, killing her uh, neighbor, Botham John. Uh, I was looking at that article as well. I'm waiting for the one for Dallas Morning News to uh, finish loading. Okay, so video shows officers frantic attempts to save John. On the second day of Geiger's trial, jurors saw body cam footage uh, from the night of September 6, 2018, as officers scrambled upstairs and down hallways, rushing toward the apartment where John lay dying. The footage showed first responders desperately, uh, desperately taking turns. Uh, let me see. The footage showed first responders desperately taking turns performing CPR as John lies bleeding on the floor unconscious with only a faint pulse. Amber Geiger appears briefly in Officer Michael Lee's body cam footage. Uh, before he orders her to get away from John. Um, she repeats um, as Lee moves past her, I thought it was my apartment, I thought it was my apartment. Um, Chief, hey, can you hear me? One officer says to uh, uh, Botham Shem John, who was on the floor in light colored shorts and a dark t-shirt, can you hear me? Let me see, where does this ranger testify about confusion for plan? These are some key moments in, in, the, um, in the trial. Geiger's explicit Texas change with her uh, police partner. We talked about this as well. Um, about 30 minutes before the shooting, Amber Geiger sent uh, Martin Rivera a Snapchat message that said, want to touch. Uh, so she said like explicit uh, text messages. Uh, Rivera and Geiger were on the phone for 16 minutes as she drove home from work, a call that ended a few minutes before she shot both of them, John. During her defense, uh, during her defense team's opening statements, attorney Roger, Robert Rogers portrayed the prosecutions sharing the text as a distraction. Uh, Geiger and Rivera both testified that there were no plans to meet later that night. 
in that the text exchanges were just flirtations. Geiger also said Rivera had never been to her apartment. Witnesses can't tell jury they think uh, Geiger acted reasonably also uh, was a key turning point uh, in the case as well. Okay, so check out that article. That's from Dallas. That's from Dallas Morning News. Um, five key moments in Amber Geiger's murder trial for Botham Shen, uh, for, uh, five key moments in Amber Geiger's murder trial for killing Botham John. All right. Let me go back to the main article here from Dallas Morning News. And let's see here. Let me look at some of your comments while that loads up. All right, let's see here. On Tuesday, lawyers for uh, the John family joined the chorus of critics saying it was asinine for the doctrine to go before the jury. This is dealing with the council doctrine, okay? Uh, let me back up here just a second. So this uh, this direction from the judge, judge, a district judge, Tammy, state district judge, Tammy Smith, caused a lot of concern. Um, Geiger's lawyer has, has uh, Geiger's lawyers have said uh, that uh, she fired. Uh, she was she who was fired from the police force shortly after she killed John was exhausted and scared when she heard someone inside her unit she thought was her own home. She opened the door, saw a quote unquote silhouette figure in the dark apartment, uh, in the dark apartment, and feared for her life. That's not what she told the Dallas police, however. Okay, this is according to her attorneys. She says she asked to see his hands, but he just walked toward her. Okay, she didn't tell that to the Dallas police. She fired two shots. By her own admission, she was shooting to kill. By her own admission, she was shooting to kill. But because she believed uh, she was in her own home, her legal team argued she was within her rights acting in self-defense. It was, quote, a series of horrible mistakes, end quote, the, end quote, the lawyer said, quote, awful and tragic, but innocent, end quote. Dallas County District uh, uh, Dallas County District Court Judge Tammy Smith ruled Monday, uh, September 30, 2019, that the jury could consider the castle doctrine, a controversial law that says your home is your castle and you have a right to defend it. As the Washington Post, Katie Shepard reported, uh, Judge Tammy Smith's decision, Judge Tammy Kemp's decision, quote, raised the uh, bar for prosecutors and sparked outrage and disbelief from critics who questioned how the law could protect Amber Geiger when she shot uh, Botham Shem John in his own apartment, end quote. On Tuesday, lawyers for uh, the John family joined the chorus of critics saying it was asinine for the doctrine to go before the jury. Attorney Benjamin Crump compared it to the controversial stand your ground law descri uh, describing both as attempts to, quote, come up with justification to kill an unarmed black person, end quote. The prosecution cast Geiger as careless and negligent, armed, distracted, and too quick to pull the trigger. Prosecutors call her defense garbage and absurd. Uh, absurd. Now, here is 
the thing that I think the judge was faced with. If the judge did not, the, the judge instructed the jury that they could take the council doctrine into consideration. That, but that isn't the consideration dealing with all the evidence because the defense was arguing that Amber Geiger thought she was in her own apartment, okay? Now, even though we know that's BS, this is their defense. Therefore, I think the judge was faced with a situation, a situation whereas if she did not give that instruction to the jury, that they can take that into consideration. If she, um, if Geiger was found guilty, then the defense could argue that the jury was not properly instructed and they were never given the option also to consider the counsel doctrine, which possibly could set up a second trial because they could say, wait a second, the, ju the judge gave improper instructions to the jury because our defense was she thought she was in her apartment. Okay. So I think the judge was faced with a, uh, probably a no win opposite, no, a no win decision, a no win situation. Where is if, um, she didn't give those directions to the jury and saying that you can consider this. If she didn't do that, it sets up a, uh, possible opportunity to push for a second trial and, uh, in doing so, then she gets opposition and say, oh, why did you do that? All right. So it, to me, looking at this case, it seems like the judge was in a no-win situation. All right. But the evidence, um, but the evidence was overwhelming here. Okay. So she was found uh, guilty. All right. Here, let's go to, let me, uh, Kind of uh, look at this again and go to some of your comments because something happened here with the screen. All right, we've got Yolanda. Uh, the judge avoided the mistrial call from the defense. Yeah. Yeah, the judge avoided the mistrial call from the defense as well. And see, the other thing is why the prosecutors don't let a lot of information get out or they're very limited on the information they allow to get out is because the defense was trying to get a change of venue because they argued that uh, Amber Geiger could not get a fair trial in that county. Okay. And they were arguing for a change of venue. Luckily, the judge, uh, luckily the judge overruled that. Okay. Because if they allowed a change of venue and they're gone to a county and it's held in the, like a, a, a predominantly white city, 80, 90% white could have been a different outcome. All right, this is why when, when situations like this happen, this, this is why the prosecutors don't try these cases in the media. They're very careful about the information they let out. Usually is, is, is very limited, the information they let out. And even Faith Johnson, because see, I watched, uh, I covered this case closely, and I watched the uh, press conferences that were held, um, even... Um, going back to late 2018. And Faith Johnson was the previous uh, district attorney. 
okay? And she lost in re-election. She was appointed, she was originally appointed by the governor. She's an African-American female Republican. Some people criticized the way that she handled the case. Uh, I was going through looking at certain things and understanding prosecutors. I know that they're very limited on what they can reveal to the public. And she said she has to be careful about the information she lets out because the defense is going to push for a change of venue. And if that is granted, it's totally out of her hands. It'll go to another prosecutor. It could go to a white prosecutor. Okay. It could be totally different and go to a predominantly white city. So luckily this ended up uh, positively. Okay. So we, we don't know what the uh, sentencing will be. And when we find out what the sentencing will be, I'll do an update uh, on that. But luckily, you know, uh, this was good. Now, this was, they, they talked about how this was the, um, fir- this was the first female, if I remember correctly, this was the first female uh, Dallas police officer to be convicted of murder in, I don't know how many number of years. All right. Um, so this was a monumental case. All right, let's look at some of your uh, comments here. Also, we got Kim, uh, Tracy. I remember when uh, I used to work 16 hours, I never lost track of where I live. Tracy said, I don't believe that made up story. Yeah, now I live in, a, I live in an apartment, lived in this apartment 10, 11 years. There've been times when I got off on the wrong floor, okay? But as soon as I get off on the wrong floor, I can look at the floor, I can look at the hallway and tell it's different. And then there was one, uh, it was uh, one or two times that I went to put my key in the door. Now we don't have a key fob to get to actually get into the apartment. We have a key fob to get access into the building. But as soon as I put my, there was a couple of times, as soon as I put my key in the door, you know, I look at the apartment number, I realize it's not my apartment. It's the same floor plan, right? But they know in the hell I'm going to go into another apartment that's not mine. And then I see a silhouette in the dark and fire in the dark. What type of police training did you have to teach you to fire in the dark? What, and you don't have a night scope. What type of police training did you have that teaches you to fire in the dark at something and you don't know who it is? Okay? So that was just, that was nonsense. But once again, what she told the Dallas Police Department in the affidavit was different than what she told the Texas Rangers. Okay? What she said on September 7th was different than what she said on September 9th. All right, let's see here. Okay, we got Tracy. Okay, how you doing, Tracy? Uh, Terry uh, Wallace. Uh, I have walked up the wrong. I have walked up to the wrong car of my exact model, but as soon as I noticed the mess was not mine, I turned around in embarrassment. Yeah, you know. So yeah, yeah, you can get off on the wrong floor. Yeah, you may put your key in into the wrong door, but you're gonna notice some things. You're gonna notice the door number. Oh, the other thing that's a dead giveaway was that. Both and Shem John had a red mat. See, red was his favorite color. He had a red floor mat right in front of his door. He had a red floor mat right in front of his door. Okay. She did not have a red, red floor mat in front of her door. That's another dead giveaway. All right. So there's, there's numerous uh, things. And when you go and look at this case, there's numerous things here that um, show that 
she was lying, all right? She was either lying or she was extremely um, distracted. She wasn't inebriated. The, the toxicology test came back, so she was not under the influence. So she, he was, she either she was lying or she had some extreme uh, mental problems or extreme distraction or something. And, if, and, and, and if, if she can make mistakes like that, she should not be a police officer. Okay, what did she say? Uh, somebody asked a question. Okay, Josh, thanks for covering this topic. Uh, TJ, uh, bright pinkish red. Yeah, it was bright pinkish, pinkish red. It was basically red. That was his favorite color, red. Uh, somebody asked something about the apartment number. Let me see something here. What was that question? Yes, the red floor mat, Kim said. Um, TJ, Mesquite, Texas police officer, Amber Geiger shoots and kills a native of St. Lucia. Yeah, both in Shemjian. He's from St. Lucia. Uh, I thought I saw somebody ask a question dealing with the apartment number. But uh, just for the record, uh, his apartment number was 1478. Her apartment number was 1378. She lived right below, right underneath him. Yeah, okay, yeah, Ashley asked, the, uh, Ashley asked that question. Okay, there's a delay in the scrolling of the messages because I'm using two laptops. There's a delay in the scrolling of the messages. So um, his, uh, his apartment number was 1478. Her apartment number was 1378. Then she have to force her way in. Uh, well, that's not what she told the Texas Rangers. She told the Texas Rangers as soon as she put the uh, the key fob in the door, uh, she said the door was ajar. When she told the Texas Rangers, the door, which was slightly ajar prior to Geiger's arrival, fully opened under the force of the key insertion. Upon the door being opened, Geiger observed that the apartment interior was nearly completely dark. Now, also, what came out in the trial was that both in Shem John's door, his door, like the door is supposed to automatically close. What came out in the trial is that his door was malfunctioned. His door malfunctioned. That came out in the trial. I saw one of the reports dealing with this Dallas Morning News uh, may have a, a article on this, may talk about this. All right. But still, there should have been, there were numerous clues there that you were on the wrong floor and this was not your apartment. Okay. There were numerous clues there dealing with that. All right, let me look at a couple more of your comments here. Um, I'll let this scroll up. Then also, if you like this type of information, you can donate to the African History Network, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, also at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com. You can set up for a recurring donation also if you like as well. If you want to donate 10, 15, 25, 50, 100, what have you. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, broadcast our Sunday night show, uh, pay the bills. Also helps when I have to travel to uh, different events where I'm speaking. All right. Let's see here. Okay. All right. Yeah, we got, we, we've got you, Terry. I, I said... Uh, yeah, you realize that that wasn't your car, you know. So, yeah, we got you. I've got you. Let me uh, look at some more of your comments. Uh, okay, we've got uh, Taja also. 
Okay, Teaspoon, how you doing, T? Uh, Dorothy, if the door was open, why put the key in the lock? Um, Ashley, I know the coming. Okay, it's good. Okay. Yeah, she claimed it was open. All right. There's one other one I want to look at is um, a reporting from uh, New York Times. Because I looked at a, a number of different articles here. And let me check something here. So all this stuff is happening at the same time. You've got, uh, you've got impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump. All these criminals are going to prison. You got an impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump. Go back and watch the video I did September 26, where I broke that down, the impeachment inquiry. You've got Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, being subpoenaed. You've got Rudy Giuliani, who keeps doing interviews. And, and Republicans are even saying Rudy Giuliani needs to be quiet and stop doing interviews. Because every time he does an interview, he, he implicates somebody else. Okay? And now, I want Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump to keep talking and, and keep tweeting because they keep incriminating themselves and incriminating other people, all right? So then we have ex-Congressman Chris Collins, Republican uh, member of the House of Representatives, uh, pleads guilty uh, in insider trading case. Now, he was one of the first ones uh, to come out, uh, first congressman to come out and support Donald Trump in this 2016 election, okay? He's pleaded guilty. He's resigned from the House of Representatives, Republican. Um, Ex-Congressman Chris Collins pleads guilty in insider trading case. Quote, I understood I, I had a duty not to disclose confidential information. Uh, Ex-Congressman Chris Collins told Manhattan federal judge uh, Vernon Broderick before a packed courtroom as he pleaded to conspiracy to commit securities fraud and making false statements. See, all these, all these criminals, see, all this information is coming out. What you do in the dark is going to come to the light. All this information is coming out. What people have to understand is that there were about 48 people around Richard Nixon who went to prison. There's about 48 people, okay? H.R. Uh, Haldeman, John Ehrlichman, his domestic policy advisor, White House counsel, John Dean, all these people trying to protect Richard Nixon. They really need to go study Watergate because there's going to be a whole lot of people around Trump going to prison, being sentenced to federal prison. There's going to be a whole lot of them. Even, even Richard Nixon's attorney general went to prison. Hello, William Barr. William Barr, you see, now you're going to see all these people around Trump having to lawyer up. Attorney General William Barr, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. You're going to see a lot of them. They're going to have to get attorneys. Uh, Richard Nixon's attorney general went to prison. Hashtag study Watergate. You see me post that hashtag. Hashtag study Watergate. If you understand Watergate, I, I've said before in January 2017, I said Donald Trump is going to be impeached and Donald Trump is going to be forced to resign from office. That's what happened to Richard Nixon. And the evidence when they have the when they have impeachment inquiry hearings in the House of Representatives, all this information, all this corruption is going to come out. Trump does not want this to go to trial in the Senate because he's going to have to testify. Now, the last thing somebody who's told over 12,000 false and misleading statements wants to do is testify 
in the U.S. Senate under oath and is being televised to millions of people. And you have elections coming up in 2020. Senator Mitch McConnell's uh, son of a Mitch, Moscow Mitch, is up for re-election in 2020. People in Kentucky have to organize to vote him out of office because people outside of Kentucky can't vote for senator of Kentucky. Only the people inside Kentucky can vote. African-Americans need to organize with some woke white people and some others, Hispanic, everybody else, to get this son of a Mitch out of office. Okay, people outside of Kentucky can't vote for Senator Kentucky. Only the people inside Kentucky can vote for Senator Kentucky. All right, he's Senate Majority Leader. Democrats have to take back control of the U.S. Senate. They have to take back control of the U.S. Senate. Okay, this is why the Senate is so important. But we don't. A lot of, a lot of us don't understand this. Uh, so uh, October twelfth, I'll be in. Um, I'll be in Oakland, California with uh, Michi X on the uh, Black Agenda Tour. Visit uh, blackagendamovement.com. I think it's a new website, blackagendamovement.com. And um, that's, the, that's the new website. We'll be there October, the weekend of October 12th, that Friday and Saturday. And I do a presentation called Six Principles of Political Self-Defense, Understanding How Laws and Policies Impact the Economic Conditions of African Americans. And I'll be on the panel also. So we don't understand concepts of political self-defense. So we have to understand law. We have to understand the Constitution. We have to understand where the loopholes are in the law so we don't get caught up in them, uh, in those booby traps. But we also have to understand how politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of law, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. And, and prosecutors are positions that are elected judges many of these judges are positions that are elected so you have people who started organizing and realizing well wait a second we keep complaining about decisions that come down and police officers not being prosecuted we need Can y'all still hear? Okay, can you hear me? So this is what they did in Cook County um, dealing with Chicago prosecutor, a district attorney, Anita Alvarez. Okay. Uh, surrounding Donald killing. And it took her 400 days to... Um, indict or prosecute Officer Jason Van Dyke, even though she had the videotape and all the all the evidence was on video. Okay, so you had people who organized and ran Kim Fox as the uh, prosecutor, and they defeated Anita Alvarez. So people in different 
parts of the country starting to wake up and understand how all these elected positions impact the lives of states is not just president, okay? It's, it's uh, House, U.S. House of Representatives, U.S. Senate, state legislature, governor, county commissioner, county executive, mayor, city council, uh, city clerk, because it's the city clerk and the county clerks who count the damn votes. Those are positions we really have to go after. It's the city clerk and the county clerk that count the votes. Then you have the zoning board. The zoning board determines which businesses can go where. And we have too many of this type of business. We have too many gas stations. We have too many party stores. You can't have this type of business within a certain number of feet of a school or a church. Okay? That's the zoning board. We got to go after those positions also. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. So we have to we have to understand political self-defense. Understand so at the at the um black agenda tour, uh I talk about this, but also at the uh this past weekend in Houston, Texas, at the All Black National Convention. I was on the panel dealing with power and politics, on the panel with Dr. Ron Daniels, Dr. Boyce Watkins, uh, and Jade Arendale, okay? Uh Lioness Crown who, who, uh, from Fly Nubian Queen. And I asked people who's read the document, Progress of the African-American Community under the Obama administration. There's about, what, 150 people there, only one person that read it. And he listens to me, watches my videos. I think maybe he found out about it from me because every city I'm in, I ask people about it, nobody's read it. It's at whitehouse.gov, been up there for years. We don't read it. So how do you protect gains that were made if you are under the misconception that no gains were made? So when Donald Trump asked African-Americans in front of a largely white audience, what the hell do you have to lose? Remember that nonsense? What the hell do you have to lose? People didn't know that the U.S. prison population dropped to its lowest point in 20 years in December 2015 under President Obama. Well, there were 2.95 million jobs created under the Obama administration cre created that went to African Americans. The unemployment rate for African Americans was cut by a little more than half from a peak of about 16.7% in March of 2010 down to 7.8% in December of 2016, okay? If you read that document, you understood what was at stake because those policies are being attacked now or they have been reversed. Just like we see a drop in the in the number in the coverage of Americans who have uh, health insurance. The the uh, census comes out every 10 years, but there's a census report that comes out every September. So the so 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 the um, census, the annual census report just came out last month. So a lot of people don't know there's an annual census report that breaks down a lot of this information and shows the impact that policies have. Go to census.gov, census.gov, because I've been reading articles about it. About it. Then it talks about um, the, the drop in the number of Americans who have health insurance because of Donald Trump's policies and attacking the Affordable Health Care Act, attacking the subsidies that are attached to the Affordable Health Care Act, things like this. This impacts African-Americans because the Affordable Health Care Act gave health care to 3 million non-elderly African-Americans who did not already have health care. And the number one reason why people file for bankruptcy is because of medical bills, which then impacts your economic condition. So all of this is interconnected, interrelated. It's not just about voting. Voting is one part of it, but it's about understanding how elections have consequences and how policies are tied to elected officials. And those policies have consequences. Those policies impact you on a daily basis. 
All right, let's see here. Um, so the, uh, the presentation I do is um, six principles of political self-defense, six principles of political self-defense. And we have that uh, DVD lecture at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. We also have it in a uh, six DVD bundle pack, the Black Migrations, um, 1619 and 2019, six DVD bundle pack concludes uh, five of my presentations from uh, this year, okay, from, from 2019. Okay, so we'll post that link here. You can check that out. You can order that uh, if you like. But the way, so what I do is, uh, see my degree is in business administration with a major in marketing. I've been studying history for 27 years. So I'm not just a historian. I have a background in business, taught entrepreneurship for a number of years. But I've also been involved in writing public policy for the city of Detroit. I managed a company where we had uh, county contracts with the county of Wayne, and we had state contracts with the state of Michigan for education. So I, un I understand it at, um, government at a city, county, and state level. Okay. So my approach to this is different because of the experiences. I'm not talking about what I read in the book, I'm talking about what I've done and understanding how government creates an environment that business operates within. Government, government regulations creates an environment, creates a, it helps create an economy that businesses have to operate within. Okay, so it's not just economic empowerment. No, we have to have a synthesis of African history and culture, which gives us our foundation, gives us our values, our interests, and our principles. And it influences our economics and our economic empowerment and influences our politics and our political empowerment. We have to have a synthesis of all three of those. It's not just one. Okay. All right. So let's look at, let's look at something here. Um, Looking to see if there are any updates. Let's go back to TJ, Attorney Kim Fonsi, Illinois is still being ridiculed for the Jesse Smollett debacle. Yeah, but as she but as she stated, um that that dismissal uh, of the case, I forgot the exact terminology of it, but the um dismissal of the charges and the resolution, as she stated, she does that, she does that for thousands of people. Okay, she does that for thousands of people. Uh, so the Chicago Police Department was upset with uh, District Attorney Kim Fox over the this uh, I guess it was dismissal of the charges and then um, imposing uh, community service and a fine, things like this. But she detailed how she does that for thousands of people when it's something nonviolent. I'm not talking about murder. Okay, when it's something nonviolent, it's like a first-time offense, things like that. She talked about that. Okay. All right. SB Kim Lanny. Then also African American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. Uh, we'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network. Email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Current promotion, get three months for the price of one. And um We'll take your 30-second and 60-second commercial put into the audio podcast of our uh, broadcast on our Sunday night show, the African History Network show, and then also um, we'll uh, promote you during our broadcast as well, okay? All right, so we have a uh, new advertiser uh, also, Dr. James Ligon at Auratrue.com, Auratrue.com, O-R-A-T-R-U-E.com. He is a dentist, and he has a... Um, he produces toothbrushes, all right? This is an African-American-owned uh, business. 
And this is a toothbrush designed for plaque control, uh, bristles designed for optimal contact with teeth surfaces, ergonomically designed to uh, feel great in your hand. Um, the handle material is made from natural bamboo. All right, so visit auratrue.com, O-R-A-T-R-U-E.com for more information. Um, millions of plastic toothbrushes are discarded every year. Not good news for the environment. Our natural toothbrushes are designed to reduce the waste with a, a biodegradable bamboo handle and medium bristles that will not hurt your gums. Bamboo itself is a fast-growing grass, uh, so stocks are swiftly replenished. All right, so take, check out auratrue.com, O-R-A-T-R-U-E.com for more information. Okay, I've got the article from uh, New York Times. It was just updated um, about an hour ago. So I want to take a look at this here. Deliberations are going on uh, for sentencing. And um, I want to see. Now, we expect a statement from the um, police union, spokesperson for the police union. It's probably not going to be good. It'll probably be something ridiculous. All right. Uh, so just be prepared for that. At a news conference after the verdict, lawyers for uh, both and Shem John's family recited the names of other black people who have been killed in confrontations that drew public criticism in recent years. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, and said they hoped the latest verdict would be a turning point for racial uh, justice and police reform. Attorney Benjamin Crump said, uh, quote, for so many unarmed black and brown human beings across uh, America, uh, this verdict today is for them. OK, and he's a, a civil rights lawyer, a well-known civil rights lawyer, attorney Benjamin Crump. Uh, though the issue of race was not mentioned explicitly in the courtroom, the trial unfolded against the backdrop of a diverse city that is 42 percent Hispanic, 29 percent non-Hispanic white, OK, or white, 29 percent non-Hispanic white and 24 percent African-American. Uh, the mayor of Dallas, the police chief, and the Dallas County District Attorney are all African American, as is the judge presiding over the case. Of the twelve of the twelve jurors and four alternates, seven are African American, four appear to be white, and five are, are uh, five are of other races and ethnicities. One thing that many people don't understand is that more of us have to show up to serve for jury duty. More of us have to show up to serve for jury duty, number one. Two, we have to be registered to vote. Being registered to vote is not just important in voting strategically, but also to be able to serve on a juror, you have to be registered to vote. Why? Because where did they get the names and addresses to send the jury duty notification cards to? Where did they get that from? They get it from the, the voter rolls. So if you're not registered to vote, you can't serve on a jury. So you sit back and complain about a jury verdict, but you can't even sit on a jury. See, a lot of people don't know. Like, see, oftentimes we suffer because of our own ignorance. Oftentimes we suffer, oftentimes we suffer the consequences because of our own ignorance. You can't, on the one hand, complain about jury verdicts. And on the other hand, you're not registered to vote, so you can't even receive a jury duty notification card in the mail. Then when we receive the jury duty notification card in the mail, we have to show up for jury duty. 
Now, if there's some type of hardship or something, you just can't do it. Still show up for jury duty. Don't ignore it because they can send out a bench warrant after you. Okay? You still have to show up. But these are things that we don't understand how these small things have large, have, uh, large consequences and have a very large impact. Now, S. Lee Merritt, who was the lead attorney for the uh, Botham Shem John family, said people in Dallas County worked hard to create, create an environment where justice is possible. Um, and Lee, uh, Lee Merritt also represented the family of Anton, Antoine Rose II, an unarmed African-American teenager who was killed while fleeing a traffic stop in East Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 2018. In that case, the white officer was acquitted by a majority white jury. Okay. Um, Attorney S. Lee Merritt said, I've been all over the country. This is the most diverse jury I have ever seen. That makes a difference. Okay, not saying that an African-American uh, on the jury should just say, oh, because there's a police officer to kill a black person, that means that, oh, they're guilty. No, they, they should look at the evidence fairly. They should look at the evidence fairly. But having African-American representation on, juror, on juries can really make a difference. All right, let's look at um, let me get another update before we get out of here. I'm looking at the sentencing. Uh, let's look at some of your comments here quickly. So uh, Sunday night, uh, I'll be on Sunday, October 6th. I'll be on live 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation WFDF. It looks like looks like uh, the uh, baseball game won't will not preempt my show this week. So I'll be on for that. Um, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me at customer service at African History Network, customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com. And we can make that happen, customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, oftentimes we suffer because of our own ignorance. Uh, kind of, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, oftentimes we suffer because of our own ignorance and also not understanding the law. This is why I do the presentation dealing with six principles of political self-defense, okay? And, and understand, because see, a lot of times we'll vote from election to election, but won't, we will not vote strategically, and we don't understand how to assess the gains that were made in the previous election and understand that those gains are uh, in jeopardy in the next election. So we have to uh, vote for somebody, put somebody in office who is going to protect the gains that were made, but also create an opportunity for us to push our agenda the farthest and get the most accomplished. But to, uh, but to have an agenda, you have to understand history, have to understand law, have to understand uh, the conditions that exist and understand how policies will address the conditions that you are arguing about and complaining about. And then we have to assess the policies and the track record of the prospective candidates to see who's policies best line up with our issues and concerns and our agenda. But then when the election is over with, that's when the real fight begins because you have to hold them accountable and you have to be able to push your agenda to get the most accomplished. So we, we don't understand this, this concept of staying engaged. People uh, should go to indivisibleguide.com, G-U-I-D-E, indivisibleguide.com, okay? And indivisible is a uh, document that was put together by former congressional staffers, all right? And uh, let me see, I had uh, Google up. 
see something here. Indivisible, and I have a copy of uh, the first edition of it in my backpack. Um, Indivisible, Indivisible was put together by former congressional staffers who looked at the tactics that the Tea Party used to fight against President Barack Obama and really uh, stymie and neutralize a lot of things President Obama wanted to do. They took that and put that into a document of tactics to fight against Donald Trump and the Trump administration. Okay, it's called Indivisible. There, uh, two, three months ago, they just released the second edition of it. Okay, go to Indivisible, IndivisibleGuide.com and download that and read it. So you have tens of thousands of people across the country who are organizing based upon that document. And a lot of them organized to fight against uh, Republicans trying to repeal the Affordable Health Care Act in the Senate. So when Senator John McCain was alive and he, he voted against uh, repealing the uh, a key portion of the Affordable Health Care Act, you had thousands of people, tens of thousands of people actually organizing across the country. And they would show up at their uh, member of uh, Congress. Uh, they would show up at their office on Tuesdays and protest the uh, House of Representatives, but also U.S. Senate. Okay. And many of them were organizing based upon this document called Indivisible. Now, a lot of African-Americans don't know about this, okay? But I saw them, I, I watch MSNBC. MSNBC is on right now, it's just muted. I watch MSNBC six to 10 hours a day and do research all day. And I saw them protesting every Tuesday, Rachel Maddow would talk about this because I first found out about this on the Rachel Maddow show, okay? And then after she first talked about it, you had uh, hundreds of groups that were being organized, like within week, two weeks, something like that, being organized all across the country. And it, it continued, all right? And this document, Indivisible, is, it gives you form letters on how to interact with your, with your member of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, how to hold them accountable. It gives you form letters, form emails, things like this, to send to them and teaches you how to put pressure on them, how to hold them accountable. Most African-Americans don't know anything about this. The other thing you want to do is you want to, you want to um, uh, get on the email list of your member of Congress and your member of the U.S. Senate, but especially your member of the House of Representatives. Get on their email list because the, um, the House of Representatives, they're broken into smaller districts. They're 435 congressional districts, okay? They're broken into smaller districts. So you can go to house.gov, house.gov, which is the official website of the uh, house.gov, official website of the House of Representatives. And you can find your member of uh, the House of Representatives. And you can, um, um, you can find your member of the House of Representatives. What you can do is you can get on the mailing list, okay? You can get on the email list. Uh, my member of the House of Representatives is um, Representative Brenda Lawrence, 14th Congressional District. Okay, I'm on her email list. So when she has town hall meetings, she sends out an email about it. She sent out an email recently, the last couple of months, to talk about the legislation that she helped get passed and the tens of millions of dollars that were brought to the 14th Congressional District. All right, so, but see, a lot of us don't understand anything like this. 
you want to go to those town hall meetings. Now I'm on the board of Grits and Politics here in Detroit. So they come to us. That's how I met her. She came to Grits and Politics and I met her, talked to her, met uh, one of her staffers. The staffer said, give me your card. I'm going to put you on the email list. I got his, his card, right? So I get the emails from them. But you, uh, the House of Representatives is on an 18-day recess right now. Members of the House of Representatives are going back into their district. Many of them are holding town hall meetings, dealing with impeachment, impeachment inquiry. Explain that to people, what that means. They're also holding town hall meetings dealing with uh, issues pertaining to their district and the legislation that they've gotten passed in the House of Representatives, but is being held up in the Senate or it has been uh, voted against in the Senate. Because there have been almost 300 pieces of legislation that the House of Representatives has passed, have passed since January 3rd, 2019. So when Trump lies and says this is a do-nothing Congress, talking about the House of Representatives, no, he's lying. Go to govtrack.us, G-O-V-T-R-A-C-K.us, govtrack.us. Govtrack.us allows you to track legislation in the House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate and to see how many pieces of legislation have actually been signed into law by the president. Okay, last time I checked, I think maybe it's only like 40 or 50 pieces of legislation have actually passed the House and passed the Senate and been signed into law by Trump since January 3rd, 2019. January 3rd, 2019 is when the 106th Congress was sworn in, okay? And Democrats took control of the House of Representatives based upon the November 2018 midterm election results. All right. And, and Democrats gain control of the House of Representatives. They've passed almost 300 pieces of legislation in the House of Representatives. Everything dealing with uh, uh, common sense gun laws to uh, protecting uh, voter rights to um, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That was passed by the House of Representatives. Hasn't gone anywhere in the, in the Senate. It's either being blocked or is voted down in the Senate. Most of these die in the Senate. This is why. Now, I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but I understand who is passing laws that benefit me better than Republicans are passing laws. I understand who that is. I don't belong. I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but I, I look, I'm looking at these policies and I see whose policies are better. And in general, it's Democrats. But go to GovTrack.us. Most people don't even know this exists. And you can track the bills. You can track who sponsored the bills. You can read the damn bills. Okay, and then you can see who's holding up the bills. It's Senator Mitch McConnell, son of a Mitch, Moscow Mitch, and Republicans in, in the U.S. Senate. Okay, uh, I'm just I'm checking to see here for uh, any updates. Many have no idea who their congressional representative is. Right. So what you can do is you can call the congressional switchboard. Okay, and I'll give you the number because I have it stored here on my phone because I've called a congressional switchboard before. Uh, and the, congress the congressional switchboard allows you to get to any of the 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives or any of the 100 members of the U.S. Senate. And when you call, you can, uh, it'll ask you for your zip code and you can find out who your member of Congress is and you can uh, be put directly in contact with their office. All right. The congressional switchboard number is area code 202-224-3121. Area code 202-224-3121.
That's the number to the congressional switchboard. You can reach any member of the U.S. House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate. You can get information. You can contact them to be put on their, probably put on their mailing list. I know you can go to house.gov and every member of Congress and every member of the U.S. House of Representatives has a page on house.gov. They have information how to sign up for their email newsletter, get on their email list. They talk about, they have press releases there. They talk about policies they support, things like this. Each member of Congress has their own uh, page at house.gov and senate.gov is the official website of the U.S. Senate. So every U, all, all 100 U.S. senators, they have a page at senate.gov. So you could go and you could find out what your U.S. senator is doing, which policies they support, when they're having their town hall meeting, all, all different, uh, different things like this. So we have, it's not just about voting. We have to stay engaged in between elections. And many of us don't understand that, that concept. Okay, 202-224-3121. That's the congressional switchboard, all right? Now, sometimes you call, you get an automated service. Sometimes you call, you may get a live person. Because last time I called, I got a live person. Scared the hell out of me. Okay, so just be prepared. Does she just say, is this a congressional switchboard? She said, yeah. So usually I call, I get an automated system. She said, yeah, but we're taking, you know, live calls here. So I asked for, um, I think I was asking for um, that time I called, who did I want? I think it was uh, uh, my senator. Uh, you ascended uh, Debbie Stabbing. I think that's what I was calling for. I can't remember. I've called a few times. All right, let's see. Okay. So uh, deliberation is still going on uh, as far as sentencing. And uh, let me see here. I had it, uh, yeah, I have it up live here on NBC News because um, they have it live in the courtroom. Yeah, so deliberations are going on right now. All right. So we'll be on live uh, Sunday, 9 p.m., 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, WFDF, uh, here in Detroit, and we broadcast uh, on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, live when we're on also. Erica said, this just means we have to work harder. Well, not just work harder, we have to work smarter. Most of us don't know any of this information that I'm talking about. Okay? And we keep listening to people telling us don't vote, and they don't tell you the consequences of not voting. See, and, and, and the other thing they don't tell you is that um, just because you don't vote, that don't mean you're not participating in the, in the process. You pay taxes. Uh, you know your taxpayer dollars pays the salaries of the elected officials that are doing you harm, whether you vote or not. Your taxpayer dollars not just pay their salaries for the people who are doing you harm, it also pays for the policies that are doing you harm as well. So how many of you usually get a big tax refund and you thought you were going to get a tax refund this year and come to find out not only did you not get a tax refund, but you actually owe money? Did you thank Donald Trump for that because of his $1.4 trillion tax cut that gave at least 90% of the benefits to the top 
1% to 10%. That's why you didn't get a big tax refund. Did you thank Donald Trump for that? The people that told you don't vote, did they tell you something like that was going to happen? This is consequences. See, we don't, we don't understand this. All right. TJ said not voting is what we have in the White House right now. Yeah, see, that's a consequence, right? So what happened was during the 2016 election, now I was doing national national syndicated radio five days a week during the 2016 election. I was doing the Michael M. Hotep show on the Empowerment Radio Network. I was guest hosting the Warren Ballantyne show. Um, it was at 2015, 2016. I did Warren Ballantyne show for about three months. Um, when Roland Martin came to the Empowerment Radio Network, I would guest host Roland's National Syndicated Radio Show a lot. So they would, he had listeners in Beaumont, Texas, Chicago, WVON, and Chicago, some other affiliates. Then I was doing my show five days a week. And then also I was doing um, um, morning radio on Thursdays, Wake Up With Steve Hood, Thursday mornings, like I think it was 7 a.m. We started out at 8 a.m., then we pushed it back to 7, so I would get an hour and a half, then two hours. And then I was doing my Sunday night show, the African History Network show on 19 a.m. Superstation. And I was warning people about what would happen if Donald Trump became president. I talked about his connections with Russia, all that stuff. Okay, I was warning people. But you had people who said, well, we're only 13% of the population, so how can our vote matter? Right? And you probably know some of these people. Republicans feared the African-American vote more than we valued the vote. Republicans feared the African-American vote more than we valued the vote. See, I have a whole presentation I do called African-American Resistance in the Era of Donald Trump, Voter Suppression, Reparations, and High Elections of Consequences. Okay, because I've gone really done a deep dive study into the 2016 election and the results. So there were 16.4 million African-Americans registered to vote in 2016 for the 2016 election. 16.4 million. 59.6% voted. That was a seven percentage point drop from 2012 when a record 66.6% voted. But see, something very something very interesting happened in 2013 that a lot of people don't talk about because we understand history of law. 2013, U.S. Supreme Court case of Shelby County versus Holder happened. And Shelby County versus Holder, what that did was that struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act in 1965 that most of us don't understand because we don't understand history of law. Section 5 had to do with preclearance, okay? And the preclearance dealt with, um, okay, hold on. People send me all these damn messages. I got to block this stuff. Um, the preclearance had to do with uh, in states that had a history of putting obstacles in the way of African-American vote, African-Americans voting, poll taxes, literacy tests, grandfather clauses, things like this, saying that you could not vote if your grandfather couldn't vote. Because of the, uh, the Civil Rights Act, specifically Section 5, states that had a history of doing that 
if they wanted to make any changes to the locations of polling places, to the hours that uh, the amount of hours that a polling place can open, if they want to make any changes to when early voting could take place, how many weekends you have early voting, they had to get clearance from a federal judge to make any of those type of changes because they had a history of trying to disenfranchise African-Americans. That's Section 5. Well, what Shelby County versus Holder did was that struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which weakened the Voting Rights Act. So they don't have to get this preclearance anymore to make changes. So right after that, you had all these new voter ID laws that came into place. So for the so for the 2016 presidential election, number one, 14 new states had new voter ID laws, and these were targeting African Americans, but also college students who were more likely to vote for Democrats. Okay, and they're trying to suppress the vote. You had 868 fewer polling places in the 2016 election. 868 fewer polling places in the 2016 election. Elections have consequences. Who nominates Supreme Court justices? The president. Who confirms Supreme Court justices? The U.S. Senate. So the 2016 election was the first presidential election in 50 years that you did not have the full weight of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So you had rampant voter suppression that took place in key battleground states, especially Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. You had the U.S. Interstate Highway, I mean, not the U.S. Interstate Highway Act, the, uh, the uh, interstate cross-checking system. The interstate cross-checking system that was, that was used, and the interstate cross-checking system, not 1.1 million people off the voter rolls, okay? The interstate cross-checking system not 1.1 million people off the voter rolls. And the interstate cross-checking system was uh, basically created and championed by um, Kansas, Kansas Secretary of State, the state of Kansas, Secretary of State, Chris Kobach. And interesting, interestingly enough, Chris Kobach was made the um, either the chair or the co-chair of Donald Trump's fake voter integrity commission. After he won and, and Trump was spreading these conspiracy theories around that there were 5 million people who voted illegally, things like this. And then he created this fake voter uh, integrity commission. And he made uh, Chris Kobach, he was either the chair or the co-chair. Because the, uh, let me see, which one was that? Which one was he? Because um, the vice president, Mike Pence, was made the co-chair of it, I think it was. Hold on, let me see. That was his. Uh, that was his voter integrity commission. All right. Uh, let me see. Paul launches voter integrity commission. Okay. President Trump launches commission on election integrity. Vice President. Okay. So this is from abcnews.go.com, official website of ABC News, May 11, 2017. Donald Trump launches commission on election integrity. Donald Trump has signed an executive order today establishing a commission to review alleged voter fraud and voter suppression in the American election system. All right. This is from um, what date was this? May 11, 2017. Okay. Vice President Mike Pence and Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, K-O-B-A-C-H, 
were announced today as the chair and vice chair of the bipartisan Presidential Commission on Election Integrity. Yeah, so uh, Mike Pence was the chair and Chris Kobach, Secretary of State of Kansas, was the co-chair. The commission will review policies and practices that enhance or undermine the American people's confidence and integrity of federal elections. It's a bunch of nonsense, okay? Because Russia helped Trump get elected. Read uh, volume one of the Mueller report, okay? And you can go to NBCnews.com and just search for read Mueller report, and they have the whole 448 pages. Read volume one of the Mueller report. Volume one dealt with the Russian interference in the 2016 election. This is the this is the version that the Washington Post put out, and they have a whole a lot of additional um, commentary and reports, articles, things like that. Uh, let me see. Presented with related related materials from the Washington Post. Okay, this was ten dollars at Amazon, Amazon.com. I think I ordered this off of Amazon. I think that's what it was. Uh, but I got this like as soon as it became available. All right. Read volume one. And now Trump is doing the same thing with Ukraine, with, with Ukraine, as well as Australia. Okay. And leaning on foreign countries to get dirt on his political rivals, especially Joe Biden, who Trump knows will beat him. This is why Trump fears Joe Biden so much. Okay. The same thing he did with Russia as a candidate. Now he's doing with uh, Ukraine and Australia that we know of as a president. Those are impeachable offenses. Those are impeachable offenses. That is abuse of power. All right. Let's see here. Okay, let's go back to uh, broadcast. Let me see. Let's monitor this. People need to vote locally because uh, people will be in front of that judge, the school board. It's not just locally. It's all of them. It's president, U.S. House of Representatives, U.S. Senate, governor, state legislature, County commissioner, county executive, mayor, city council, prosecutor, all of it. Attorney, uh, uh, state attorney general, it's all of it. It's not, it's not just local because the uh, October 1st, this is the first day of the uh, new fiscal period, uh, of the new fiscal year. So the new budget goes into, the new federal budget goes into effect. I think it's $4.9 trillion, which comes from, the money comes from the federal to the state to the county, to the city. We're dealing with federal law. We're dealing with state law passed by the state legislature. State legislature. State legislature is critical. Critical. The state legislature has more authority over police officers and policing than at the federal level. But we don't understand this. So it's not just local. It's local. It's state. It's federal as well. All of it is important. Uh, let's see. Yeah, not voting locally makes no sense. Not voting at all makes no sense, to be honest with you. If you actually understand how elections have consequences, you actually understand how this works. The, and, and see, Republicans fear the African-American vote more than we value the vote. Republicans know 
the value of the African-American vote. If, they, if, if, if our vote didn't matter, why do Republicans work so hard to suppress the African-American vote? This is, what you should, this is what you should ask yourself. This is what you should ask yourself. Why do they work so hard to take gerrymandering cases to the U.S. Supreme Court if your vote doesn't matter? Okay. Why were there 868 fewer polling places? Now there are about 1,700 fewer polling places across the country. Many of those polling places are in uh, largely African-American, Hispanic communities, shutting down polling places. Why, if your vote doesn't matter? No, they understand the importance of your vote, and they fear it more than we value it. All right, let's see here. Uh, let's see, Erica said, I too wasted my vote unknowingly. I voted Green Party. I think it was the other female. Was it Jill Stein? Was it Jill Stein? See, the other thing is, when it comes to voting, you need to vote for somebody who really has a, a chance of winning, especially coming when it comes to, uh, comes to president, um, especially in the general election. So I told people in 2016, that a vote for Jill Stein was a vote for Donald Trump, if you understand math. Now, if you don't understand math, and then see, see, the other thing was a lot of African-American college students thought it was cool to vote for Jill Stein like a lot of their white college friends were doing. Well, they, they have a luxury you don't. Because you're more greatly impacted and your parents are more greatly impacted by policies and the economy than their families are because the median household income of a white family is $171,400 compared to the median, ho- median household net worth, I should say. Median household net worth of a white family based upon 2016 numbers is $171,000 compared to the median household net worth of an African-American family is $17,000. OK, so it, they, they can go out and even though going out and vote for Jill, Jill Stein was a bad mistake because that took away votes from Hillary Clinton that helped Donald Trump win, especially in three battleground states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Jill Stein got 50,000 votes out of Michigan. Donald Trump won Michigan by 10,704 votes. The interstate cross-checking system knocked 54,000 people off the voter rolls in Michigan. That's 104,000 votes. Poof, gone. Trump won Michigan by two-tenths of a percentage point, 10,704 votes. We saw similar things in Michigan, I mean, in, in Wisconsin, and um, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. But see, we don't understand this stuff. Okay? So, uh, and the other thing was, a lot of people that voted for Jill Stein, a lot of them really thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, so they thought it was okay to have a protest vote. I work out for you. Now you got Trump. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that December 2015, Bill Stein was in Russia at the two, at the um, 10th anniversary of Russia Today TV. And at the table, at one of the dinner tables, is Vladimir Putin. Next to Vladimir Putin was Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn ended up becoming Donald Trump's first national security advisor. He's on his fourth national security advisor uh, right now, right? I mean, he's had more 
turnover in his cabinet than basically any other president in recent history. But this is after he said he knows all the best people and he's going to get all the best people. You may know all the best people, but they ain't want to work for you. So Lieutenant General Michael Flynn goes on to become Donald Trump's first national security advisor, and he's awaiting sentencing. He pleaded guilty. Uh, he's awaiting, awaiting sentencing. Donald Trump hired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn after President Barack Obama told Trump, do not hire this guy because I had to fire him. Trump hired him anyway. He becomes his national security advisor. All right. Sitting across from Vladimir Putin and Lieutenant General Michael Flynn in December 2015 was Jill Stein at the table. So the question was, okay, who paid for Jill Stein to go to Russia to speak at this event? Who paid for her hotel lodging? All this stuff. This is not conspiracy theory. This actually happened. NBC, all the news outlets covered this. They have the pictures of them at the table. They covered this. And they're asking the question, well, wait a second. Who paid for her to go to Russia? Who paid for her lodging? So then you look and say, well, wait a second. Why did she stay in the race to the end when it was clear she wasn't going to win? See, uh, former governor of Massachusetts, Governor Bill Weld, who is uh, running as a Republican to challenge Donald Trump right now. Governor Bill Weld ran with Gary Johnson on the Independent Party ticket. He ran as the vice president. He drops out of the race about three weeks before the November 8th election, because it's clear that they didn't have a chance in hell of winning. Governor Bill Wells said, we have to stop Donald Trump. Why didn't Jill Stein drop out of the race? It was clear she wasn't going to win. Why, did she, why, why didn't she drop out of the race? So, personally, my theory is that it was to stay, at the, stay in the race to the end, take votes away from Hillary Clinton, to help Trump become president, because personally, I think she was either working uh, officially or unofficially, either overtly or covertly with Vladimir Putin. And what was one of the planks on her platform? Reparations for African-Americans. Uh-oh. What was one of the planks on her platform? Reparations for African-Americans. Now, when the research is done, you're going to find out that was calculated to siphon off a certain number of votes of African-Americans from Hillary Clinton to help Jill Stein win. Because Donald Trump wasn't talking about reparations. He ain't talking about reparations now. So when you go do an analysis of the 2016 campaign and I have, and you go study this, it was... Uh, a real, it was a, it was psychological, it, it was um, a, a um, psychological strategy that was being implemented also that many of us still don't understand today. But if you understand math, understand it. So I knew African-Americans that were running around passing out flyers uh, telling African-Americans to vote for Jill Stein and saying, we're going to get Jill Stein to do an executive order to give reparations to African-Americans. Uh you do understand that violates Article One of the U.S. Constitution because Congress has the powers of the purse string. It has to go through Congress. 
Ain't no sitting president. I don't care what nobody tells you on social media. No sitting president is going to do an executive order to give reparations to African-Americans because that violates Article One of the Constitution. Now, if you haven't read the Constitution, then you believe some fragonacle bull like that. If you haven't read the Constitution, Article Six of the Constitution tells you that the U.S. Constitution and all the subsequent treaties are the supreme law of the land. That violates Article One of the Constitution. That has to go through Congress. So they were coming to me talking about we're going to get uh, Jill Stein to sign an executive order to give us reparations. I'm looking at them like, Negro, you crazy? But when you don't understand law, you don't understand this stuff. You'll fall for these games. All right. Okay. Uh, let me see here. Let me look at uh, one other thing before we get out of here. So be sure to follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. Also follow us uh, on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P on YouTube. Um, follow us um, also, let's see, follow us on YouTube and then also follow us uh, uh, Instagram is Michael M. Hotep on uh, Instagram. And on Twitter, it's the AHN show uh, on Twitter. Okay. Follow us there as well. And then at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, all of my DVD lectures are there. So you can support the African History Network there. Also, uh, you can uh, donate to the African History Network, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. All right. I don't know. I don't know what happened with this year. All right. Fragonacle is Michael Baston. Yeah. Fragonacle Bulls, Michael Baston. Yep. Um, This is the same way I felt about Bernie Sanders. He should have dropped out. Yeah, see, Bernie Sanders should have dropped out early in the race. And when it was clear, yeah, Bernie Sanders should have dropped out early in the race. He was just stubborn. You know, I don't dislike Bernie. I don't hate Bernie. He should have dropped out early in the race. Okay, he was stubborn. Uh, Washington Post has a $10 version available on Amazon, the Mueller Report. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's how much this was. This is ten bucks. This is ten dollars. This is ten dollars from the Washington Post. All right. So deliberations are still going on. Uh, dealing with sentencing. Okay. So uh, stay, uh, check, uh, stay tuned for that. Monitor that as well. Sentencing of uh, Amber Geiger. All right, look, hey, we have to get out of here. Remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, 
and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct wrong behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you've been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Remember, right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Welcome to the Fast Life 28-Day Challenge. Imagine what your health could look like after 28 days of a structured fasting regimen, healthy habits, and three coaches holding you accountable on a daily basis. Here's your chance to move from imagination to realization. The Fast Life 28-Day Challenge is here to help you. Visit their website, tfl28.com. Now, this is an online coaching program to help members tap into their body's natural ability to repair itself via fasting. In this 28-Day Challenge, they focus on utilizing fasting, whole foods, and movement to improve metabolic conditions such as obesity, high blood pressure, pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, and more. This is a 28-day program. There is also a private Facebook group to give you tips and encouragement. Also, they have a new cohort starting up very soon. So visit their website, tfl28.com, for more information for the Fast Life 28-Day Challenge. Hey, down here. It's us, your feet. We want to tell you something you already know. It's time to buy yourself some new shoes. Have you heard of the Knickknackery Co? It's the hottest new place to buy women's shoes online, and they have some unique soles for your soul. The Knickknackery Co's signature soles are handcrafted in small custom batches by professional artisans. A careful eye to detail delivers styles that are both timeless and on trend. And they're constructed to last. The best part? They're as comfortable for us as they are stylish for you. For sophisticated women who love quality and uniqueness, you can't beat the Knickknackery Co. Visit us online at www.shopknickknacks.com. Follow us on all social media. There are no shoes we'd rather kick it with because they are very sophisticated for the soul. Two thousand nineteen is here and there's no better time to start working on your financial goals. My name is Martisha Patterson and I am a certified financial planner with over nineteen years in the wealth management industry. I am helping people just like you focus on and achieve their goals. If you need help with budgeting, saving for emergencies or retirement, if you want to start investing but don't know where to start, I am here to help. No need to feel alone or frustrated. No one's situation is the same, which is why you need a certified financial planner to develop a unique plan tailored to your specific needs. Contact me today. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384. Or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. My website is pattersonplan17.com. No more excuses. Now is the time. My name is Martisha Patterson, and I am here to help. Dark Magenta specializes in creating home spa products based on nature's healing and soothing properties. Dark Magenta carries essential oil and cannabidiol infused bath bombs, shower steamers, sugar scrubs, and soaps. 
They include oils and herbs such as lavender, rosemary, eucalyptus, sage, cedarwood, oatmeal, shea butter, cannabidiol, and more. They also carry oil diffusers and 100% pure essential oils. Visit their website today at darkmagentas.com. That's M-A-G-E-N-T-A-S, darkmagentas.com, and indulge in these treats for the body and the mind. Are you interested in how Wall Street works? It is interesting how certain opportunities are not presented to our community, especially when it involves billions of dollars that are being exchanged every day through the stock market. Why should you be left out and not get a piece of the action? TheProfitRoom.com is a stock market trading and equation company that has mentorship programs that are designed for beginners. They teach individuals how to create generational wealth through trading and investing in the financial markets. They focus on education such as stock market, options, futures, and the foreign exchange markets. Their specialty is day trading and offering one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Their priority deals with capital preservation and risk management. Visit their website, theprofitroom.com forward slash wealth building. Theprofitroom.com forward slash wealth building for more information and sign up for their online classes that they offer also.